Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. So about two weeks ago, I was walking down the stairs and a thought came to my mind. What does it mean to be at home in my own body? See, I've come to learn that the body, which includes the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, is our first and possibly our only home. We are told that home is supposed to be this place where you feel like you belong, you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel loved. And it's a lovely idea to feel like I belong in my own body and that it always comforts me that I see it, I hear it, and I love it. Yet, there are so many things that I and other people do to consciously or unconsciously separate ourselves from our own bodies. We do this because sometimes that home is not a beautiful place. Sometimes that home is so hurt and so damaged that to be in it, to be present in it, feels like too much. Which now makes the question, what does it mean to be at home in my own body, a nuanced one? How do I be at home and belong to a body that holds pain? How do I be at home and belong to a body that I feel betrayed by because of age, neurological disease, cancer, or other illnesses? How do I see, hear, and love a body that society doesn't make space for? because there's very limited positive representation of it in the media, or minimal accessibility for it in public places? How do I be at home in a body that carries intergenerational trauma in the bones and in the cells? It would be easy if every time we were present in the body, it was a joyous experience. I know I wouldn't allow myself to become disconnected and not at home in my body if I felt bliss every time I was present. I also know it's easier for me to blame and lay the sole responsibility for me not feeling at home in my body on outside forces, like our society. Now don't get me wrong, our US society has done and continues to do atrocities to black bodies, but I refuse to give our society so much power that I say that the only reason why I don't feel home in my own body is because of our society. If I'm honest, more than once, I put up the unwelcome sign. You do not belong here for myself. And the first time I realized I was putting up that unwelcome sign was when I stopped doing yoga. I haven't done yoga in months. Because for me, yoga is the activity where I breathe, I take in all parts of the body, the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual, and I take them home. But recently, I've been like, nope, I don't wanna go home. Are you kidding me? No. There was so much pain there. There was so much hurt and darkness, and I don't know how to deal with that. I mean, I can sit in it maybe for five minutes, But to sit in it every single day for 75 to 90 minutes, I don't know. 
I've never done that before in my life. I don't know if it'll break me or not. I do know that it won't cause me to become hollow because me putting up that unwelcome sign and not going home to my body is causing this emptiness. It's causing this coping in unhealthy ways. Yes, we are born whole and holy, but we are not born perfect. So let us not just tolerate, but be accepting of the fact that to truly be at home in the body means we embrace both the enjoyable and the painful experiences because we belong in the body, because it is our home. We don't leave. We stay present in the pain, in the joy, in the hurt, and in the fear. We choose to put up the welcome sign to the body and say, welcome home. I welcome you home, body, every single day. And I will see you, and I will hear you, and I will love you, even in the darkest of moments. I wonder, what would that look like? Please, let's come work this together. I want to actually also thank um, the class I'm facilitating, the Squirming with the Bible class. Um, I was looking at a blank page all day on Tuesday, and I had no, nothing for today. And through a conversation with them, they helped me write this sermon. So I want to thank that group for um, giving me at least the path to a sermon. Thank you. While millions of refugees around the globe are searching for home because of climate crises, war, famine, you name it, they're clashing with some other people who wish to send them back home. And the problem of families without homes keeps escalating. With this combustible and destabilizing backdrop, home requires a social, political, economic, and moral, and most of all, an ethical definition. And where there is an ethical challenge, Unitarian Universalists are going to be there. We are going to find housing. For folks. We are going to house and share our homes with folks. We are going to build homes with Habitat for Humanity. We are going to welcome those who come through those doors and we're going to say, mi casa es su casa. We are going to chant, immigrants are welcome here. We're going to lobby the legislature. We're going to collect dishes and silverware for the transitional housing program. We do the work. We got that. But when we're not working and doing and providing and protesting and collecting and organizing, we 
Universalist Unitarians may find ourselves off in a little corner asking questions that we know the answers to. But we still have to ask them. Questions like, why in the richest country in the world do we little old church people have to house people build tiny houses in our backyards, collect cans and pillows, and otherwise scrounge to put a generic Band-Aid on that cancerous tumor of American disregard and neglect for those human needs. Why? Why? We know the answers. We know that there is little will in this country to provide for all people. We know that there is little will in this country to promote equity. We know that phrases like, it's mine, gimme, I want more, limit the moral imagination of the greedy overlords. We know this, but we get back to work until we return to church on Sunday to ponder these big ideas that lingered with us throughout our do-good zone through the week, from Sunday to Sunday. Well, friends, it's Sunday now, and we do not have to do today. Today is a day to ponder. So what if we take a few minutes to think about home in some new ways? What if we think about home as a philosophical construct? What if we stretch and flex our intellectual biceps and try to come up with some new and creative capacities to enlarge and reframe our idea of home? Now, one of the things I love about philosophy is that asking the question is as much fun as seeking possible answers. And even then, even then, the answers are only a temporal reality until a new conundrum emerges. Oh, the blessed life of us Universalist Unitarians. Our brains do not get a day off to leave it to God. <laughs> we work every day. So let's do some work. Exploring the operative concepts of home in a person's life can reveal deeply ambiguous phenomena. These ambiguities can open up a philosophical space for a complex array of topics and many disciplines. For instance, what is your connection of home to your personal identity, growth, and development? What does your idea of home say about issues of security and openness? Being at home or not at home has become a stock measure of our existential health. Have you ever taken stock to consider what your concepts of home means and what does it say about who you are and how you are, and whose you are, and how you relate to others, how you demonstrate home in the world. Home, inclusion, home, 
exclusion, home, displacement, home, being, home, belonging. Does your personal practice of homeness result in you having never been in the home of a person of color or never had a person of color in your home? Now, if you do check that box, and I know you're not gonna raise your hands, but I know some of you are checking that box, there's an opportunity. February is Black History Month, and my home will be open, and you can come because we have a baby coming, and we're gonna need some tater tot casseroles. <laughs> so your homeness, competency can be expanded tenfold. <laughs> Does your personal practice of homeness result in a deep satisfaction in putting up a fence that defines ownership? How do concepts of home relate to a person's identity? Is my home my castle? Does my responsibility end at the driveway? How do concepts of home influence our notions of connectivity? Are your curtains drawn day and night? How might concepts of home reflect different mindsets towards the alienating dynamics of increasingly decentered world? It's so much fun using the question mark. I just love writing a sermon with just question mark. It's all worn out now. Okay, so imagine this. What if home were a multi-level dwelling that contains several single-level homes, such as an emotional home, a geographic home, a cultural home, a linguistic home, a spiritual home, a political home, etc. So for example, I am at my home, my multi-dwelling home with the single other rooms. I am at home in cities, reading history books, listening to Kendrick Lamar with my love Ashley in my arms. Now the combination and curation of these distinct single level homes that make up my idea of home are closely connected to my selfhood, my social location, and relationship status. Now this understanding of home is kinetically connected to the cacophony of urban unpredictability, the narrative of human events and history, the sounds and syncretism of hip hop, all while wrapped up in the safety and security and the certainty and stability of home that is my partner. Now what else is home, if not a safe and secure place to seek shelter from the storms of life? What else is it? To be human is to create home, to create these spaces. To be human is to create identity within home, to create the concentric contours around what is dear to us, shaping and imagining home. Now, originally, 
Home meant the center of the world. Home is the center of the world, not in a geographic sense, but in an ontological sense, in a being sense. Home was the place from which the world could be founded. The world is founded in home. A home is established at the heart of what is real. And in many indigenous societies, everything that made sense in the world was real. The surrounding chaos that existed and was threatening was not real because it was outside of the place that founded home. Now without a home, a, the center of the real, one was not only shelterless, but also lost in non-being, in unreality. Without a home, everything was a fragmentation, a dangling participle of reality. So home is our retreat from fragmentation. It is our place we can depend on for grounding. Think of it as a place to recover from the stressful pace of life. A place where we reassert our power in wake of scary revelations. A place to rest from the powerlessness ingested every day in this world's toxic stew. A place to rehabilitate our deflated confidence or our diminished personal esteem. Home. But friends, how are those distinct single rooms functioning in your multi-floor dwelling? Is the furniture in your emotional room, in your emotional room, comfortable enough for family truths to lay bare? Is your geographical home a place that can navigate freely without fear? Is your cultural home a place where your multiple identifiers can celebrate without judgment or ridicule or oppression or somebody calling the police on you while you're develop, develop, delivering packages? That happened this week. Does your linguistic home have a place for more than English? Is your spiritual home filled with UU fundamentalism with no chairs for a Lutheran? <laughs> Are the walls of your political rooms and your political homes so soundproof that they serve only as an echo chamber for your political Facebook likes? Sure, you say, these rooms, these homes are the consequences of making security and comfort the core element of our concept of home life. But how healthy is an unexamined longing to be at home in this hyper-subjective world that we're creating for ourselves? Is there a danger for our humanness in our concept of homeness? Some of us might be afraid to critique the conceptual geography of home because it might reveal cracks and fissures 
in our ethical sensitivities and behavior. You may say, why bother doing all that deconstruction about home? I'm comfortable thinking about home in the insular image of the hearth. I've learned here, too, in Minnesota that this flame, that fire, that heart, that circle of power of the fireplace at the cabin can be the focal point of this cozy image of home. And as flames flicker, and as we stare into that orange brightness, we become mesmerized and even immobilized by the hearth of home. But that fire must be closely watched because its power to send unpredictable sparks into those carefully constructed emotional and political rooms can be dangerous, scary, unpredictable. Are those random flickering sparks crossing the boundary zones of your own home identity? What are those crackling sounds in the fire calling you to do about your own homes? Friends, we must give adequate expression to the dynamics of our subjective understanding of home while learning to engage the dilemmatic spaces in which our lives are lodged. We have to try to grasp the full dimension of these ambiguous home spaces and direct some conscious attention, conscious focused attention to the nests of issues and assumption underlying our ambivalent relationship to home. I remember when my parents moved from one neighborhood to the other. And it was a move that lots of people were making in the 60s. My father, we moved from a row home, a, like a thousand foot, square foot row home to a 4,000 square foot house in Winfield from West Philly to Winfield. The Jeffersons was on, moving on up. You know, it was that whole trajectory of the, of the emerging uh, black openings for opportunities. And my father, my parents, we were all part of that striving Negro strategy to move up and move out and move in to the new neighborhood. And I remember my father on the phone talking to one of his buddies. We had just moved into this giant house. And my father was moving up as a politician. Everything's rosy. Everything's going great. But he said something I'll never forget on the phone. He says, yeah, Cecil, we're the only ones out here. We're the only ones out here. And I looked at my father, I was about 11 years old, and I said, what does that mean? We are the only ones out, we were the only black people in the neighborhood at the time. We're the only ones out here, as if that new home was something better that we had before. But also I heard a sense of loss in his voice that I didn't understand until many years later. Our identity was still on Conestoga Street. So I took the 52 bus every day after school back to the old neighborhood. And it took years for me to really integrate into that new home. Thinking about home, reflecting on home like that, is something we all have to do. 
We have to do it because we, our identities are materialized in our home and our sense of place. And discussing our understanding of hospitality or the connection between privacy and community, articulating what we feel at home contributes to our self-understanding while opening horizons for possibilities to be part of new homes. Now, as we hunker down our, in our homes for winter, these cultural seasonal narratives about home and identity can really drop a serious weight on our psyche. Particularly when the charity machine is in full swing to pull our not structural change heartstrings, not structural change heartstrings, to give and help the less fortunate without homes. But I want to argue that homelessness is not just a lack of permanent residence. Homelessness, particularly during this season, goes much deeper, and some of us here are indeed homeless. It is a state of lack, a lack of self-fulfillment, a lack of control of one's physical environment, a lack of emotional comfort, a lack of intellectual stimulus, a lack of social connectivity. These are all forms of homelessness. Be aware of your homelessness when you are at home in your house, if you have one. Take stock of it, explore it, interrogate it, address it, talk about it. And whether or not you're always aware of it, a home is a home because it blurs the lines between the self and the surroundings and challenges that lie outside of our abodes. These challenges about home and these divisions and blurriness that happen sometimes are because we're trying to figure out where we really are, whose we really are, why we are. So follow these blurry lines to see what might be missing to provide you with both safety and security of home, but also the adventure and potential of home. Friends, we have to ask ourselves how healthy are these 19th and 20th century notions of home when so many of us are living in a world increasingly defined through connectivity and decenteredness. In our current world of multi-biographical lives, patchwork families, refugees, economic migrants, couples living apart together, increasing amounts of singles, and the growing silver society, the sphere that we call home in the future will have to be nothing less than a multifunctional, flexible base for meta-mobility that works in several dimensions, whether real or virtual homes, mobile or fixed homes, home is much more than shelter. It is multifaceted, ever-changing, an idea that needs to be examined while it evolves. Go home and write some question marks about home. Be at home. Let's go home. Let's be home for someone. Let's leave home for someone. 
Let's try home with a new community. Let us be the homes that we were meant to be. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.